Isn't it amazing to know that we serve a living God? A living God. He's alive. That he rules, that he reigns. That love that he shows us, that he speaks onto us, that he cares for us. This is the God we serve. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's beautiful. He's beautiful this morning. It's just wonderful to be in his presence. There's fullness of joy and it strengthens you when you're weak. This morning, I'm going to be speaking on one of the parables. Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. And verse 33, Matthew 21 and verse 33. be a bit of a long reading this morning, Uh, we've got to read the rest of the chapter from here. But there's always a blessing in reading the word of God. And it says here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to a husbandman and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit, fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. When the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him, let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They said unto him, that is the Pharisees, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he speak of them. When they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Let's bow in a wee word of prayer. (laughs) 
Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we just give you glory and praise and honor. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your beautiful self. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that one atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you all the glory, Lord, for that precious shed blood. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have so much mercy and grace upon us. Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would move through this earthen vessel, Lord. Lord, that you would move from heart to heart and seat to seat. Lord, that your most Holy Spirit, Lord, would come and have its way. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it's your spirit and it's by your spirit, Lord, that we can do all things. Heavenly Father, we give you glory, we give you praise and let your name, the name of Jesus Christ, be glorified in this house. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We see when we look at this parable that it's the last week of the Lord's ministry on earth. And we see many times when the Lord's speaking, we, we, we see what the truth does. He was the truth. He was the word. And he spoke truth and that truth cut them to the very heart, pierced them, challenged them, rebuked them. But it was the truth. And brother and sister, sometimes we just need to let the word of God be the word of God. Whatever it says. Not try and change it, but let it be what it tells us it is. Because we're living in a day an age of political correctness, but this word is never political correct. Never will be. It is the truth. Whether it realises it now or later on on his return, everybody, the whole world, will realise that this is the truth. The will. So it was the last week of the Lord's ministry. And the leadership of that time in the country of Judea were plotting to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice earlier on in Matthew 21, if you you read it, that he comes in glorious triumph, if you like, into Jerusalem. And all the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is God save us or save now. And they're acknowledging him for who he is. They're acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ. There were thousands at Jerusalem at the time that come to celebrate the, the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits. And it's amazing because Jesus had come and he was the fulfillment 
of each and every one of them. But I want you to notice something when he come. When he come into Jerusalem, his first stop was to go into the temple. And he cleared the temple. He cleared it out of the crooks, the swindlers. He cleared the temple completely. And listen to what Jesus himself said. He says, My house is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And you see, when money's involved, I always thought it'd be hard to try and throw people out when there's money involved. You imagine all that money changes and everything else and all that money and he's turning over the tables. And yet it says they come out. They all come out. You see, the anger of the Lord must have been fierce. One man to drive all them out. But it was a righteous anger. And there's something we must remember, brother and sister. Because 1 Peter 4 and 17 tells us, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? It begins with us. That's where it begins. We need to know the Lord. We need to know the leading of his spirit. And I know a lot of times in churches now, especially now, they don't preach the gospel anymore. They don't preach the word anymore. There's almost like an elitism that has come in to the churches. If you don't look right, if you don't dress right, where's your position? None of these things matter when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what's in here. And don't let anybody else tell you any different. Doesn't matter what you're going through, where you are with him, if you have him in here, he's all you need. And even today, you know, they'll turn around and say, well... You know, we have to go to church. We have to do this on a Sunday. This is what we do. We've always done this. Well, that's nonsense. Because that's religion. And if we do that, then you know what? There's no point. If the Spirit isn't moving in a church, whether we like it or not, there's no point in anybody being there. Because I tell you something, and I think they they get this wrong quite a few times. You see, when it says the dead in Christ shall rise first, that's not the spiritual dead. That's the physically dead. So the churches need to get a grip of the Spirit of God to move in a church, to be on fire for the Lord, to have their heart, their heart be on fire for God. Not what they look like. But when we get into this parable, this parable of the, the wicked husbandman and the vineyard, 
We need to have a bit of background to it. So if you turn with me please to Isaiah 5 and 1. And there's a few verses that we've got to go through here and it gives you an insight into the vineyard of God. It gives you an insight into what the vineyard is and exactly what the Lord is talking about. You have to understand that when he gave this parable, they would have understood this. They would have understood the scriptures in the Old Testament. Isaiah 5.1 says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved have a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Now notice the song signifying the affection or the love of God for his people. They were his well-beloved. His heart was towards them. His love was towards them. He loved them. And notice how it says a fruitful hill. This was the promised land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants that would inhabit it. And this would be the land flowing with milk and honey. Let your eye run down to verse 2. And it says, And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with a choice vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein and he looked at it and it should bring forth grapes but it brought forth wild grapes. Now notice he fenced it. In other words, he means that this was the protection of the Lord. He was going to protect them as long as they kept his commandments. As long as they didn't bring in idol worship, he would be their protector. And the stones that it talks about here are the stones, are the, 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 uh, the inhabitants of the land that were there before. He was taking them out. He would subdue the inhabitants that they would be able to take the land. Just as Joshua did when he went, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. He would give it to them. And then we have these wild grapes that are mentioned. So what are the wild grapes? Jeremiah 2 and 21 says, Yet I have planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then aren't thy turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? We tend to think of wild grapes maybe just as a different class of grapes maybe. But this actually isn't the case. The wild grapes means a grape or a fruit that is deadly deadly poisonous it was harmful it was dangerous if you would try and eat this grape and in Deuteronomy 32 and 32 and 33 it says this for their vine is of the vine of Sodom and the fields of Gomorrah their grapes are grapes of gall their clusters are bitter Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. So it signifies how badly his people had turned away from him. They turned away from him. They were in so much disobedience, so much rebellion, that he didn't even notice them, what they looked like anymore. They'd changed so much before him. 
Let your eye run down to verse 3 and it says, Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, Isaiah 5 and 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. So the Lord is saying, judge for yourselves. Look at your own selves. Look at what you're doing. Do they line up with my commandments? Take a good look at yourself. This is what the Lord's saying. You judge. You judge. Verse 4 says, what could, I, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I look, that it should bring forth grapes, brought forth wild grapes. The Lord had done everything he could. He'd blessed them. They had his commandments. They had the temple. Everything was done for them. He couldn't do any more for them. Verse 5 says, And now go. Now go to and tell, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. This is the Lord removing his presence. He's removing the power and the protection from this nation, and he's leaving them helpless. And he's leaving them destitute. He says, no, enough. I'm taking my hand from off you. Then verse 6 says, And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. You notice he said pruned or digged. In other words, they will no more care for them. There will be no more care for them. The briars and thorns gives the idea of the heathen coming into the land and ravaging it. And the clouds and the rain is the clouds, if you notice, is witness of the Lord, the prophets. It refers to the rain of the blessing of God. No more. Verse 7. This is what it says, for the vineyard of the Lord. Notice the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for the judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, the cry. So you'll notice the vineyard was the house of Israel, and Judah was the present, pleasant plant. But Judah still flourished after Israel was taken away for a time. And Isaiah was predicting the captivity of the house of Israel. So if we. Now we have more Matthew 21 and verse 33. Now we have more of an insight into the parable that the Lord gave. So now when he says about the householder and the planted vineyard, you know exactly what he's talking about when he says this planted vineyard. It was the house of Israel. That's what he was talking about. The householder obviously was Almighty God. He's the one who, who planted the vineyard. But you'll also notice, he says, he built a tower. The tower that is mentioned here is of David, the royal house of David that was to rule over the kingdom of Israel. And when in uh, 975 BC the kingdom was divided into the ten tribes and 
became the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of, of Judah, there was left a tower or a ruling house of David. And in 1 Kings 11 and 35, it says, But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it unto thee, even the ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name thereof. So you, you can see there was a tower put there, and that was David's royal house. The wine press was the temple of worship. This was to be cared for by the Levites, and it was also to bring forth the wine of the grapes. That was the sacrifice and the worship. And this, this is why the Lord allowed the Levites to come back into the land from Babylon, so that they could attend to the fairs of the temple. So we're starting to get a picture of what they were doing, of this parable. But notice in Isaiah 63 and 3, they would fail. Because it says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my remnant. So you notice there was a failure here. To give him the honour and the worship that he deserved. So when we look at this parable, who was the husbandman? Well, that was the Jews at that time were the husbandmen. But I want you to notice that in the parable, the Jews are not the whole of the tribe of Judah. Because we have to remember that there was only a very small remnant come out of captivity from Babylon. Very small remnant. There were so few in number that returned to Judea, they were referred to as the Yehidim, or the remnant of Judah. But also we have to remember as well, there was an intermingling of these, because they come out of Babylon, and they also took wives, and you read of this. They took wives. But also you have to remember that King Nebuchadnezzar had also gone into Edom, and he took captives of the Edomites and took them into Babylon. And also, in between the Old and the New Testament, you had a, a, a Jewish leader called John Hyrcanus. And he also took over part of the kingdom of Edom and brought Edomites and forced convert them to Judaism. So you have to remember there was an intermingling in there as well. So the responsibility of the husbandman, the responsibility of the Jewish leadership was to attend to the vineyard. That was their responsibility. And they were, in doing this um, attending, they were to give the fruits, if you like, to the Lord. They were to honour him. And even under the Masonic, the Masonic um, sorry, the Mosaic law, they were responsible for giving a volume of harvest or a repayment onto the Lord. It was even under the law that if they had a vineyard, they were to give so much on to the owner of it, their portion. But they wanted everything for themselves. Their position, 
everything they wanted for themselves. And just as this pride started to rise up within that leadership, you start to see it more and more because they were trying to hang on to everything. They were trying to hang on to everything. And just as it did with the enemy, with Satan, pride started to rise up within him. And you can see it also in the leadership of that day. In Matthew 21 and 35, it says, The husbandman took servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. So we know that these servants were the prophets of the Old Testament. Time after time after time, the Lord sent a prophet. The Lord sent a witness and told them to change their ways. Change their ways. He pleaded with them. He sent his word. But it was ignored every time. And the last one of them was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came. And I know the Bible says John the Baptist did no mighty works, but boy, what a preacher. He set a whole nation on fire. And he did it in six months. So the Sanhedrin didn't know, but they were going to reap what they were sowing. They were going to reap it. Then when you look at Matthew 21, verse 37, it says, But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. That was our Lord Jesus Christ. But they killed him. They killed him. The beautiful son of God was treated like a common thief or any murderer and was slow. He was rejected. He was cast out of that vineyard. They had completely excluded him from the protection of the hedged-in walls of the citizenship and the law. And in fact, they broke the law to make sure he was executed. They broke the law themselves. So they cast him out of the vineyard, as it says in verse 39, they slew him. And this was when they delivered him onto the Romans and he was executed. Basically, what was the city dump? That's what they did. But then we're told in in most preaching today, We're told, well, they couldn't be held responsible for this because they didn't know who he was. Well, I'll be honest with you. The Bible will tell you different. And yet we hear it all the time. There's even books published on this. But the Bible tells us different. Matthew 21 and 45, it says, And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard of the parable... They perceived that he spake of them. So everything that he said, they perceived that he was talking to them. It shows it was clearly a deliberate plot. And they knew he was the Messiah. But they wanted to seize the inheritance for themselves. And then the Lord says this to them. 
He said, or should I say, when the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? And then the Pharisees said, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen who shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Now notice this, when we start to get into a few more verses, we hear of this. This vineyard is to be let out to somebody else. This vineyard is going to be taken away. And then even in verse 43, he says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So he's got to take this away and he's got to give it to another nation that are bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now you have to remember, the Lord Jesus just didn't do this on a whim. He'd been there, he'd been doing signs and wonders, he'd been showing them the truth, he'd been revealing who he was, he'd been ministering on the people, he'd been showing them the word. But it was being rejected. In every corner it was being rejected by the leadership. By the leadership. And look even what the Lord says in Matthew 23 and verse 37. Look at this. This just shows you the mercy of the Lord. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thee, thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Can you see that the Lord, the mercy that he was having on these people, oh, if you just listen to me, they wouldn't. So it was taken. The kingdom was taken from that leadership, that Jewish leadership. But what happened after that? Well, the Bible tells us that Paul, when he was spreading the gospel, was told to take it west. The Spirit instructed him to take it west. Now, why was that? And what was happening at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ? What was happening at that time? Well, at that time, if we go back a few years, we can see that the northern house of Israel had been taken into captivity by Assyria. And then the Assyrians were attacked themselves. And so they started to travel up over the Caucasus Mountains and into Europe. And started to spread through Europe. Israelite pass. The Caucasus Mountains actually there's, a, there's a, a pass there. And it's called the Israelite Pass. And they started to spread through Europe. And they started finally. Then they start to settle into Britain. So all this is, 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 is starting to take place. You can see it's like a chessboard. The pieces are all starting to move into place. Now why is that? Why is that? Because the Lord knew what was going to happen in due time. And that's why he said this specifically. That it was going to go to a nation 
that would produce the fruit of it. Now bear with me. Even in James, in fact, if you, if you read the start of James's letter, he specifically says to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. That's what he starts with. So Isaiah 65 and 15. If you would like to turn to Isaiah 65 and 15. I've got to do a bit of scripture hopping here. Notice what is said, and this is unto the house of Israel, the northern house. It says this, and ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. For the Lord God shall slay thee, and call his servants by what? Another name. So they've got to get another name. So the nation was got to be called a different name. Now flip over to Second Samuel, please. Chapter 7 and verse 10. And he says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. So he's got to appoint them a place. And I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as beforehand. So this place that he was going to appoint the house of Israel will be a place where he wouldn't move them and that they wouldn't be afflicted anymore. So what would that place be? Flip back please if you would to Isaiah 24 and 15. I'm getting you to flick to these because I want you to see this in scripture and not what I'm telling you. It says, they shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea, wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even in the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. So you can see that they're saying they're in the isles of the sea, that this is where they're going to be, so they're going to be a place in the isles of the sea, and which isles have cried aloud? And the majesty of the Lord. Now you'll notice something. In Genesis 12 and 2. There is a promise made unto Abraham. And it says this. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Now I want you to think of something here. Which country... You think about it, and the whole world dwells in the isles of the sea and has the name great in it. There's only one. It's Great Britain. And Britain went on to colonise the United States. But what was the one thing 
Now, maybe not so much now, I grant you that. But the one thing that Britain was renowned for wherever it went was the gospel. Wherever it went, it spread the gospel. It translated the scriptures. There was the Reformation here. You had the spiritual or the great revivals in 1859. And then you had the Welsh revival in 1904. They sent the missionary to the nations. There was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The reformers, the Puritans, the evangelists, they all were in Britain and they start to spread over into Europe. The Europeans, you start to see them spread the gospel and it just started to go out. And even in America. When the Lord said he would take it from them and give it to a nation bearing the fruits thereof, that's exactly what he did. He took it from them and he placed it in the Isles of the Sea and it started to boom, started to go out. And you can see everywhere they went, the missionaries, they had such an impact. The fire of the Spirit of God was with them. They were preaching the gospel and you've seen so much reforms. The slaves were set free. Child labour was stopped. There's so many reforms in this country and it were looked at and they said, why is there so much light there? the envy of the other nations and even Queen Victoria addressed this to the Raj of India said the reason of Britain's power is because of this it was the gospel and you see this nation now brother and sister it's a shadow of what it used to be and a poor shadow at that do you know why the Bible has been took out of the schools. It's been took out of the governments. It's been taken out of the homes. It's been made a byword by many of these parties and they don't realise it. And I mean this, but it's this is the only thing that will ever set this nation free. Whether it be European Union, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. We need to get back to the book. We need to get back to the word of blessing. Because you see, when the, when the word had preeminence in this nation, we took this cross, the whole world, and it didn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what creed, it doesn't matter where you come from. You know what? Lord Jesus Christ, if you ask him into your heart, and you accept him, doesn't matter where you are, where you come from, what background, you know what, there's no discrimination with this book. It's for everybody. And that's what we did. We were the carriers, we were the vehicle of the gospel to spread the glory right across the globe. That was the blessing of God upon this nation. Brothers and sisters, we need to get back to preaching the gospel. The churches need to get back to preaching the gospel. It's the only thing that will ever heal this land. Brother and sister, I believe the Lord is going to shake this nation with all my heart. We're starting to see it already. Things are going to get a lot worse. But let me tell you something. 
We have a light that's got to burn brighter than ever. We have a spirit in each every one of us that has got to lead us, that will guide us, and that will show this word to be true once again. I believe with all my heart before the Lord comes back, there'll be a move that will completely eclipse anything that has ever happened to this nation and to this world. And even now, across the nations, even now, there are still remnants of people that are holding on to the gospel. There are still mighty works and there are still preachers that will not bend to the world but adhere to this. So brother and sister, it's amazing what the Lord is doing. It's amazing how his word was always accurate. But what I want you to take from this is that even in the midst of when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in that country at that time and they saw what was done to him, you imagine at that moment they must have thought all hope was gone. He was dead. He was bleeding on a cross. It looked like a defeat. And yet it was one of the greatest victories the world had ever seen. And even at that time, there was a remnant of people that the Lord Jesus Christ knew moving across the nations so they could spread his word even further. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so you see the time that we live in. Do you really think that the Lord isn't in control? Do you really think that even though the governments are making all these legislation, they're making all these laws, they can do what they want. The Lord Jesus Christ has it all in hand. He still has people that are going to spread the gospel. He still has a spirit that will move. They're still going to save. We've got to see healings. And we've got to see a mighty move of the Lord Jesus Christ because no government can ever put his hand on God. You'll see these nations start to tremble. You'll see the government start to fall apart. And you will see this book lifted up and exalted and his spirit start to move mildly, brother and sister. Don't fear in these days, but rejoice. For the Lord Jesus Christ is very, very near. Thank you for listening. And God bless each and every one of you.